Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 6, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Not much. we got a bunch of news because we got to cover everything from today and yesterday while we are away uh, discussing things at the water cooler. Uh, Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman will join us later to talk about The Nun and Captain Marvel, but we'll start things off without him, and uh, we'll ju- we'll go from Captain Marvel to another Captain, Captain Planet. They are making a dark Captain Planet movie. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Why? <laughs> yes. Uh, Glenn Powell, the actor who broke out in uh, Richard Linklater's college baseball comedy Everybody Wants Some and also appeared in Netflix's rom-com Set It Up, uh, is actually one of the co-writers of a Captain Planet movie, and we knew about this two years ago, but that was before Powell sort of became the the big name that he is now. Uh, I had completely forgotten about that. But in a new interview, Glenn Powell has given some insight into his take on Captain Planet, which is a film adaptation of the 1990s cartoon show. I don't know if you ever watched that, Peter, but I certainly grew up watching that show. For sure. Uh, so Powell was co-writing the screenplay with a guy named Jono Matt. And uh, in an interview with the Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood Reporter, he says, they've tried to make it into a superhero movie before, but they kind of did like an earnest take. And ours is way more subversive and fun and dark and irreverent. Sometimes you just have to think through these things logically. Like if you have a blue superhero with a green mullet, you can't do an earnest take on that. <laughs> you have to go at it from a fun take, just the way Deadpool has circumnavigated the superhero thing. It has been an interesting process and it's taken a long time, but now we're getting that up and going and we're really stoked about it. So um, he actually confirmed that they're doing this movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, DiCaprio's production company, Appian Way Productions, is producing this movie, it's unclear if DiCaprio is going to play Captain Planet. I mean, that would be kind of amazing because uh, DiCaprio... That's never happening. That's Yeah, not. I don't I don't think so, but he is very much like a, a well, you know, an outspoken environmentalist himself. Um, at this point, I, I personally would love to see Glenn Powell play Captain Planet because I feel like he would really bring the right level of 
humor and self-awareness that that balance that you need um to a part like this so uh yeah the captain planet movie seems to be moving forward it's interesting because um i feel like captain planet is a cartoon from a different time i feel like back then you could kind of be more preachy but now kids and uh millennials and teens like they, they won't go for kind of like a preachy thing you have to do it a little bit more subversively um so so maybe maybe they have the take to make it work yeah i I agree i think um you know i think ted turner was one of the creators of the show and it was basically created as like a way to blend um information i think it's called edutainment or something like edutainment or something like education and entertainment at the same time um and it was yeah a very preachy show about you know that had like fun action and adventure in it but it also had like psas about recycling and stuff like that so um yeah it's going to be very interesting i think hollywood has been trying to make a captain planet movie for uh, 10 years or something at this point so uh yeah maybe they're the ones who (laughs) who will eventually crack it uh, let's move on uh, from this universe to another uh, universe. Let's move on to the Star Wars universe. Uh, in uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, uh, and uh, actually Star Wars Last Jedi, uh, Chewbacca, it was kind of revealed that Chewbacca is a carnivore, right? Like, we had never known that before. Um, and uh, it had, Solo, in particular, brought about questions on if Chewbacca eats humans. So Ben, does Chewbacca eat humans? <laughs> so yeah, if you remember correctly, in uh, in Solo, a Star Wars story, when Han and Chewie first meet, Han is sort of tossed into this cage with the Beast and the Imperial guards who imprison him. Talk about how the Beast might be hungry, which basically implies that Han might be eaten. And so that has raised, and the beast, of course, turns out to be Chewie, and the two of them uh, form a, a friendship and go on from there. But that raised a lot of questions, and people were wondering, does that mean that Chewie has previously eaten human beings? Would he actually do that? And in the novelization of Star Wars, uh, a solo, a Star Wars story, uh, which was written by Muir Laffy, uh, Lafferty, I think, um, it says uh, this piece from Nerdist says the novel details how the guards threw the imprisoned Chewbacca scraps of meat every few days to keep him sustained. But he'd overheard them talking about bringing him a living snack. He hadn't gotten that hungry. Not yet. The text explains. So it appears that at that point in the timeline, Chewbacca had not polished off a human meal at that point um but it doesn't specifically say that he has never eaten a human ever or that later in the timeline he has not consumed a human so i don't know peter what do you think about this i don't know i I, i'm i'm getting worried about this trend of like these novelizations and uh, expanded universe stories having to kind of fill in the gaps of like questions like i don't know things that seem like they shouldn't have been not that you know i was a fan of solo a star wars story but it is kind of questionable to introduce Chewie as kind of like this man-eating creature um and it you know brings about a, a lot of questions especially for younger viewers um <laughs> it kind of reminds me actually i was watching the star wars show which is this weekly show on uh youtube produced by lucasfilm and disney yesterday and the guy that voices darth maul uh, Sam Witwer uh, was on there, and I'm not sure 
how to proceed without saying, I guess, spoilers for Solo, a Star Wars story, if you haven't seen that yet. Um, It's interesting, in his interview, he mentions that he actually had to educate the producer of the movie on which lightsaber the character could have on him due to the timeline and uh it, it seems like the production was just going to give him the lightsaber from uh the prequels so I don't know, it worries me that it seems like i don't know it seems to me like there isn't like this whole the whole idea of this lucasfilm story group is to get get these details right and to think about these th- think these things through right. so that there isn't having to exp- you know explain these kind of things Uh, right what are your thoughts on this whole thing yeah that's kind of i mean that a situation like that uh with sam whitworth that seems like exactly what the story group is designed (laughs) for to step in in that moment so i'm shocked that um that that kind of mistake could have gotten through yeah i i mean it could have been in pre-production you know it could have been i don't know i i don't assume sam whitworth would be there that early. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, I I, I feel like we're, we're getting derailed here, but I I just wish there was more thought uh, put it into the Star Wars movies because I feel like I feel like, and you, you know I really do like Solo's Star Wars story, but I really don't think they thought through the implications of having Chewbacca in that pit. Um, when you were watching the movie, were you thinking about the? the idea of Chewbacca actually eating humans? Um, well, I, because we just saw him in Star Wars The Last Jedi eating porgs, I think that was, you know, that question uh, did spring to my mind, But and, and I'm not sure if it would have if I didn't just see that scene of Chewie, like, sitting around the fire, you know, roasting porgs over an open yeah. flame. So I, I don't know, maybe that's something, too, where, like, the story group can can take a you know take a step back and look at the larger picture of like um, you know what are the uh, almost like subconscious image images that people might be thinking um, you know leading from one movie into another I don't know it, the the other thing that comes to my mind really quickly is that it's all because of that one line that you read off like if if that line wasn't in the movie we would just assume that they throw people down there and Chewbacca just like destroys them fights them or something and yeah, like exactly. you know and then, then they feed the beast in some right. way i don't know it's weird anyways <laughs> let, let, let's move on uh to our bond watch bond 25 uh the director search is on it's heating up uh there's some new contenders uh what do we know yeah, so Bart Layton, the director of American Animals, and S.J. Clarkson, who is going to be directing Star Trek IV for Paramount, are the two uh, newest contenders for the Bond 25 director's chair. So Danny Boyle left the project not too long ago, and Eon Productions and MGM are trying desperately to find a director so they won't miss their release date. And Bond 25 right now is slated to come out in theaters on November 9th, 2019. Production needs to start pretty quickly in order for the movie to keep that date. So um, we've written in the past about how they were we, – we uh, sort of assumed that they would be looking – because uh, – okay, so Danny Boyle is like an auteur director, right? Like he, he had his clear vision. He seemed to be somebody who was going to come in and really put his stamp on this movie. He ended up walking away. So our 
thought process naturally, this kind of thing happens all the time in Hollywood, is that they would just bring in somebody almost like a Ron Howard, like a like a journeyman director, somebody who's like technically proficient, who could just get the job done, basically. And that's not what they're doing. The Barbara Broccoli and uh, Michael G. Wilson, the producers of these Bond movies, uh, are actually looking for a writer or writer director to come on board this movie. Um, Bart Layton, uh, S.J. Clarkson, and Jan Demange, who is a director who was on the short list of filmmakers before Boyle was even hired are the three names on the list right now and they all sort of fit that writer director criteria so um it's interesting that they're uh that they're really sort of pushing ahead and trying to um you know find a director in time to keep that date instead of taking a huge step back and and waiting and trying to rework things um we know that you you know when this happened it always results in a better film (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, and especially since we don't really know what's going on with the script, too, because Danny Boyle and uh, John Hodge, the co-writer of Train Spotting, were supposed to be putting their stamp on the script and taking a pass at that. And now that they're gone, we don't really know. I mean, there hasn't been any uh, concrete reporting in terms of like what the production is going to do in terms of what script they're going to use. Or are they going to revert back to one that was previously written by uh, Robert Purvis, Neil Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, I think, were the, the names of the writers who have been on the, the Bond franchise for a long time. Um, is that script actually the same script that Danny Boyle and John Hodge were working on? Were they just doing like an elaborate rewrite of that and now they're reverting back? I mean, yeah, there's still a lot of questions here, but um, I, I love the idea of Bart Layton uh, taking on a Bond movie. That's a very cool step from for him to go from uh, a documentary called The Imposter to American Animals, which is this movie that blends documentary and narrative storytelling to a straight up Bond movie. I mean, that's that's a really cool uh, career trajectory. So that would be awesome to see him take that on. That seems like a huge jump. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like in, in none of these names are really that exciting to me, especially coming from Bo- Danny Boyle, who I'm a fan of. Uh, mm-hmm. But we'll have to see who actually gets uh, hired and uh, let's hope that they actually hire someone that has a, you know, a little bit of creative vision and isn't, you know, what you said, a journeyman director mm-hmm. um, of sorts. Let's move on to our last story with you, which is uh, the Swamp Thing pilot. Uh, it has a new director. Yeah. So DC Universe, which is DC Comics new digital subscription service, I think that um, actually launches later this month. And we know that one of the original TV shows that they have coming out is a live action version of Swamp Thing. And James Wan, who directed Saw and The Conjuring, and he's directing Aquaman that's coming up soon. um, He's executive producing this Swamp Thing show. And there were some rumors floating around a while back that he might end up directing the pilot for Swamp Thing. And that is not true. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Len Wiseman is going to be directing this pilot. Uh, Wiseman is the guy who directed Underworld. He directed Live Free or Die Hard. He also has McLean coming up, which we talked about uh, not too long ago on the podcast, the sixth Die Hard movie. Um, And he has been working a lot in network TV shows like Sleepy Hollow and The Gifted and Lucifer. So uh, it seems like he may be a decent fit for this. I'm sort of hoping that because this is going to be on the DC Universe uh, subscription platform that he won't necessarily be as hampered by restrictions as he will be or as he was, you know, working on those network TV shows like stuff on Fox, for example. Um, But uh, but yeah, Swamp Thing show, I mean. I know a lot of people are very excited about this because this character has 
been, you know, he's been in a couple of movies and there was a live action show on USA in the 90s, an animated series. I mean, Swamp Thing has been around for a long, long time uh, since the 70s, I think, is when he was originally sort of appeared in the comics. Um, and we know that the show is supposed to debut on the DC Universe platform sometime in 2019. So, yeah, Lynn Wiseman at the helm here. Um, I mean, it's certainly a uh, something of a downgrade from the possibility of James Wan directing the pilot. But uh, what do you think, Peter? Uh, I mean, he's a big name, but to me, a lot of Lynn Wiseman's movies are kind of like just glossy and okay. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like bland. Yeah, and definitely. A, in the same way, at, at uh, who's that guy that did uh, Now You See Me one? Um, um, oh, Louis Leterrier? Yeah, like, same kind of way. Like it's glossy, but it really doesn't do anything interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely like a, a bit of like a generic tinge to all of his stuff. And I, hopefully this DC Universe platform will sort of open things up a little bit and let him, you know, do some stylish, you know, actually apply some style to things instead of lighting everything so flatly. And even Live Free or Die Hard is not like the most dynamic looking movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that does it for your segment. We're going to bring on Brad in just a second. But uh, before we go, tell people where can we find more of your work online? Yeah, you can find me writing at SlashFilm.com. Uh, I would highly recommend you check out my review of Marvel Spider-Man, which is the new PS4 game. I, I did a written review and a video review of that, so maybe we can link to that in the show notes. That's one of the things that I was working on. I uh, spent a lot of time over the past week working on that. And, um, yeah, you can find me at SlashFilm and find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Joining me now is SlashFilm Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. How's it going, Brad? Hey, that's me. <laughs> um so we're bringing on talk about two things the nun and captain marvel we'll stick we'll save captain marvel for last um the nun the first screenings have happened the early buzz has hit the web what are people saying about this conjuring universe movie uh basically that it's not very good uh most of the consensus is that it's the weakest installment of the conjuring universe so far um, it does say that things aren't, it's not necessarily boring or anything like that. Like the movie definitely keeps you, uh, engaged, but the problem is, is that it's mostly due to a barrage of jump scares that keep coming really, really cheap kind of scares that catch you off your guard. And there's not a lot of substance, uh, with regards to the origin of the nun, uh, itself. Um, apparently like most of the story doesn't make a lot of sense. And it just feel even though there's a, a, a the right kind of ambiance that director Corn Hardy brings to the proceedings, it's just not good enough to really feel like it's on par with uh, any of the other Conjuring movies. Um, uh, Scott Mendelson on Twitter <laughs> said, uh, said that the nun makes Annabelle look like Annabelle creation. Uh, so that should give you some idea of w- what kind of spinoff we're we're dealing with as far as the quality is concerned. Yeah, now you can you can read a bunch of the review uh, review quotes from that on slashfilm.com. We'll link in the show notes. Uh, let's move on to what everybody I think is probably interested in, and that is the the next Marvel movie, Captain Marvel. Uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, released their issue this week, uh, giving us a barrage of photos and our first 
official information on uh, the next Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Uh, so I, I thought I'd bring you on since you've been kind of covering the superhero beat and you've been writing all these articles on SlashFilm.com about uh, what we're learning from all this, uh, from these uh, these reports from Entertainment Weekly, uh, to give us kind of a Cliff Notes version of what we need to know. Uh, so what, what what have we learned? What do we need to know? Well, the first thing we found out is that Brie Larson looks like a total badass uh, in Captain Marvel's superhero outfit. Uh, she just looks awesome. The suit looks great. And this is the first time we're actually seeing the signature red, blue, and yellow suit that Captain Marvel wears in the comics because there were some set photos that leaked that showed her in a black and green suit. And a lot of people were wondering why she was wearing that suit, if it was going to be color correction, post-production. And one thing we learned from the first batch of photos that turned up online is that the black and green suit is actually what she wears when she's part of this uh, intergalactic team of what are basically space cops called Star Force. Uh, so they all wear the same uh, green black, green and black suit, has the star symbol on it. And when we join this movie, we're not getting the traditional superhero origin story. Carol Danvers, who is an Air Force pilot, has already left behind her life on Earth for a career in Star Force. So she's already has, has her superpowers. She's been in space for a while, and she's been working with Star Force, which is led by Jude Law. Uh, he's the commander of this organization. And what's interesting about Star Force, too, is that one of the team members is none other than uh, Korvath the Pursuer, or sorry, Korath the Pursuer, uh, and that's the villain that was played by Jamin Hunsu in Guardians of the Galaxy, who caught Star-Lord trying to get the orb that contained one of the Infinity Stones at the beginning of the movie. Uh, and we, uh, in one of the photos, we actually see this team confronting Ronan the Accuser, uh, Lee Pace, who is the primary villain from Guardians of the Galaxy. And in this, he's uh, still a high-ranking member of Kree society and hasn't been cast out yet. But surely this movie will be when his extremist views come to light and will shake up some things for uh, the Kree and likely the rest of uh, the galaxy surrounding him. Yeah, well, the the, the Kree Skrull War is like something of legend in the Marvel universe, and it's coming to the big screen here. We we see our first view of uh, the Skrulls themselves, right? Yeah, we get the first look at the scrolls, and what's cool, too, is we also find out what um, that Ben Mendelsohn is their alien leader named Talos, and he, uh, while we do see what the scrolls look like in full makeup with their uh, green skin and pointy ears, uh, Mendelsohn won't be hidden under alien makeup the entire movie because he will be shape-shifting, as the scrolls do, into a human character that is infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and then um, one of the other photos we see is uh, a digitally de-aged Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. And uh, at this point in the 1990s when Captain Marvel takes place, he is not really in a position of power. He's not the Nick Fury we know. Not only does he have both of his eyes, but his position is described as merely being just a desk jockey at S.H.I.E.L.D. So he doesn't. he's not really in you know, a position to be... Uh, trying to seek out superheroes or anything like that. He's he, you know he's got a low level job at this organization. Um, and people and should so, check out this photo. This photo, I, I know Marvel has gotten really good at this digital de aging, but this like looks like it could be a photo of Samuel Jackson from a 1990s movie. Yeah, no, it seriously looks like like honestly, I think the best comparison is it looks like Samuel Jackson in The Negotiator. Like that's how good the de aging looks, and it like it just looks amazing. For sure. For sure. Um, and then finally the. Last photo of interest is uh, we get a shot of Lashana Lynch playing a character named Maria Rambo. She's a fellow Air Force pilot. She's one of Carol's oldest friends. 
And for a lot of Marvel Comics fans, that name will sound familiar because Maria Rambo is actually the mother of Monica Rambo, and that character is one of several iterations to take on the mantle of Captain Marvel. Uh, the character uh, also goes on to call herself Photon, and funnily enough, Photon is the name of Maria Rambo's uh, Air Force call sign. You can see the name emblazoned on the side of her jet that she's sitting in in the first look photo. So it'll be interesting to see if there are any hints at Monica Rambo maybe having a superhero future or anything like that, or if it's just one of those things where there are little Easter eggs and character references for the hardcore Marvel Comics fans who know the the long history and character line of those characters in Captain Marvel. Yeah, it, it could be cool that they could be setting up like another you know decade or two of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like if they're actually introducing Monica as a kid, I mean. I'm not even sure. Do we have casting on that? We don't even know, do we? I I vaguely remember during superhero bits that there was some like rumblings of casting calls being put out for um young a younger actress to play a character like like that. I believe so. I, I believe that she's in the movie, but there's I don't think it's going to be anybody like a famous child actor playing her or anything like that. Yeah, I guess they wouldn't have to keep the same actor over the years if they decided to, you know run with the whole comic book storyline of them becoming Photon or Captain Marvel. Um, but that would be interesting if they did. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah uh, w- what else have we learned from these uh, EW articles? Uh, so one of the um, things, bigger things actually is something that we haven't learned yet. Uh, as I mentioned, Jude Law's character is the commander of Star Force. But interestingly enough, uh, in Entertainment Weekly's reporting, apparently uh, Marvel and the filmmakers conveniently decided not to tell us what his name is so right now all we know is his role in this movie his character is said to be uh, a mentor of sorts to brie larson and jude law himself says uh, he's driven by a belief in the divine leadership of the kree people Uh, so he's almost a devout warrior unquestioning conservative but inspirational Uh, and to me keeping that name secret and also describing a character like that kind of leaves it open for the scenario where Jude Law might be the secret villain of this movie. Huh. Uh, I feel I feel like maybe if he's so, you know, has such a close bond with Carol Danvers, which is uh, said in this in um, in this report, that maybe he's paying attention to her for a reason and that he, he might want to use her power for his own agenda, whatever that may be. Uh, so maybe even though he's part of Star Force, he could end up being, you know, a character who kind of instigates this uh you know war between the kree and the scrolls and i wouldn't be surprised if whatever he has his hand in is a big part of uh what ends up you know turning ronan the accuser into an extremist and ends up getting korath uh torn away and turned into a villain as well Uh, wasn't it rumored that he was playing marvell yeah that was the rumor early on um and so that's that's i guess that's still possible but it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in the grand scheme of things um, if you go read our full article about uh, Jude Law's character specifically, Comic Book Resources um, makes an educated guess as to what character Jude Law could be playing, and it kind of it digs deep into you know Marvel Comics mythology and and that kind of thing. Uh, so if you're interested in that, check out that story and and head over there to read their uh, theory about the matter. It's interesting that they would hide the identity because I feel like that leads us to jump to conclusions like you have. That, you know, there could be some villainous things at play or whatever, rather than just giving us some kind of fake name or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like, 
I feel like they're smarter than that. I feel yeah, like, like if he's like, a, like John Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I feel like um, I feel like they're smarter than they know that it, not releasing his name is going to be a big deal, and then Marvel fans will speculate wildly that he's some kind of villain of some kind, right? For sure, and you know, and and honestly, like I, I think that kind of villain is a little bit more interesting in a way, especially when you look at something like Doctor Strange, where you have a character like Baron Mordo, um, who was you know a follower of the Ancient One worked closely with Doctor Strange, but then ended up turning against him once he felt betrayed by everything that he thought he knew, you know, about the mystic arts yeah, and yeah. what he was following. So it would be interesting to see uh, how, if if he is a villain, how it, the turn comes into play and what his motivations are. And because the Skrulls are involved here, any of these characters could possibly be a Skrull. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be an interesting thing, too, is to see how this comes into play in the, the broader spectrum of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Are there any characters that we've already met who might already be scrolls? Because this is a movie that takes place in the 1990s, so any character we've met after that point could end up being a scroll in disguise. Um, I think I saw... Uh, Donna Dickens, who does, um, who writes some stuff for us from time to time, was theorizing on Twitter about how she wondered if maybe somebody like Agent 13, uh, Peggy Carter's niece, could turn out to be a scroll or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that that would that could make sense. Uh, I would love to see it be a bigger character, but that might be a big uh, FU kind of twist that doesn't make much sense. Yeah, it's that, that's the tough thing is like with with such, it's it'd be interesting, but at the same time, it's tough to do it without un like unraveling everything. And that's, you know, that's, it's, it's 50, 50, like on one hand, it's a shocking reveal and it changes the game and it would be kind of bold. But on the other hand, the idea of like, Oh man, they were a scroll the whole time is kind of a, a lame thing as well. <laughs> um, part of the story is just seeing all these photos and I love seeing, uh, Brie Larson in costume. I love seeing her in her like nineties wear, wearing like a nine inch nails t-shirt and a leather jacket, uh, I don't know. It's just really cool. You can check all that out on SlashLum.com. Uh, is is this all for like the Cliff Notes? Is there anything else you want to say about Captain Marvel? No, I think that's pretty much it so far. I'm I'm really excited to see how this movie turns out. The the vibe from these photos is, is pretty good. I, I hope that this turns out to be something along the lines of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where it delivers something that we we weren't expecting. Um, and yeah, so we'll you know we'll find out next March, or hopefully well, hopefully sometime soon we'll get a better vibe because there should be a trailer around the corner at some point. Yeah, I'm re- I'm really excited for this film. It it does it is kind of weird, and I know this is uh, intrinsic with the the source material as well, but it, it does kind of give off a kind of Green Lantern vibe. Especially since Star Force wear green costumes and there there's intergalactic force and she's on you know, she's in the Air Force. I don't know, it's, it's a lot of similarities. There are, but at the same time, I mean there are a lot of similarities between a lot of characters uh in, yeah, in Marvel yeah. and DC comics. It's just how it was because one of you know, one would copy the other and, and vice versa when a character got popular. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, we will keep an eye on this, and uh, I'm sure now that the photos have been released, a trailer is eminent at some point in the next uh, month or two. So I'm excited to see that. We'll we'll definitely dive in and discuss that when it is released. But Brad, for now, where can people find more of your work online? Always on SlashFilm.com. You can also check me out on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and listen to my podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, on iTunes and some other podcast platforms. 
You can find me at Slash Home on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today linked in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. This podcast, Slash Home Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. So, Brad. Yeah. Do you think Chewbacca eats humans? Do I think Chewbacca eats humans? <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, the the implication seems to be made in Solo that he does because they throw him Solo down there with the intention of Chewbacca taking care of him and so that they don't have to. So maybe it's getting to the point then where like he's been in captivity for so long or something that they think that he'll just be desperate enough to eat a person. Yeah. May, that, that that could be it. So what hmm. does Chewbacca eat then? Uh, Wookie cookies. <laughs>